0: What does the word influencer mean to you?
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. As long as you go ride motorcycles, you're A OK in my book.
0: Welcome back to the Ben Motorcycle Adventures Podcast, your hub for everything off-road, dual sport, and adventure motorcycle. My name is John. I will be your host. This is episode 32, Ben Motorcycle Adventures Podcast. Thank you for joining, and as always, thank you for listening. We're back. Took a little bit of a break. I've got a bunch of tours and rentals uh, throughout the state of Oregon here lined up over the next few months, so we got the bikes prepped, but we're back with Jason Gerald, from Phoenix Handlebars, that's at Phoenix Handlebars on Facebook and Instagram, phoenixhandlebars.com on the web. But Jason's here to talk to us a little bit about his background, his time in the industry, and of course his brand at Phoenix Handlebars. So without further ado, Jason, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Born in Indiana, not really
1: a hotbed of, of motocross activity, although a lot of racing with IndyCar and all that kind of stuff. But I was out in the country and There were two guys at my school and they rode, they rode moto and I just thought they were just really, really cool. And I remember my mom bringing home the June, 1985 dirt bike magazine and (laughs) I burned that thing up cover to cover. That was, that was where it all started for me. was like on that, on, in that magazine and there was a motocross track down the road from us. And I remember like, I just sit out there on Saturdays hoping that like bikes were going to the race and we I knew nothing about it, but I just became in love with motorcycles. Like then and there, I guess I would have been around eight or nine, and got a bike and started motoring around the around the yard. Um, what was your first bike? 80, 1985, a uh, little Honda XR eighty. I was, I'm somewhere in the in the realm of being. I was, we weren't rich, but my parents always. You know, got me, like, cool toys. I always had cool toys growing up like that. So, I, in hindsight, I'm pretty stoked, like, yeah, you know, that they took really good care of us and and made, always got me, like, cool things like that. So, lucky, lucky kid.
0: Okay. Who were, uh, when you're flipping through the pages of these magazines, like we've all done, uh, who were some of your heroes? Ricky Johnson. Ricky
1: Johnson was first one because he had the, he just had that, that style and and you know the mullet flaring out the back of that lid that was that was too cool for school i i always like gravitated towards those kind of guys i mean jeff ward was rad um but again i was an rj guy and you know back then it's like the off-road scene was was never really all that they weren't the cool guys so i I definitely was young and, and more infatuated with the motocross side of of things and and then quickly fell in love with Fox Racing because of RJ and all the things that were Fox, which, as you know, like becomes another little stepping stone to, you know, to to everything in my career. So,
0: yeah, about RJ, I actually listened to a interview the other day, and I think it was with Pete Fox, but he actually credits, you know, RJ with helping build that brand, maybe even more so than an MC oh yeah for instance um but yeah he made it tough on me as a kid and i told him this the other day on the phone man back in the 80s i was a big time jeff ward ron lachine fan and he was uh i I think more times than not coming out on the top of that but coming full circle he had that awesome show epic rise he's a great ambassador for the sport and i just really respect that he got out there and raced all those designations too man
1: it is cool to like hear that he's like kind of made his comeback you know these guys that he, you know he fell i don't want to say fell out of moto but i mean he'll tell you that he just he got away from it he was doing you know he's doing more car related stuff and it's really bitching to hear the cat like you know back like talking you know talking moto it's like, saying, like we all love him it's kind of like meeting bradshaw recently seeing him like back like in the back in the industry i was lucky enough to talk to him at at the aim show these last two years. And, and he's even, he really appreciates just like how much like people still, you know, admire him. And I don't think like necessarily from an egotistical standpoint, as much as like, he just thinks it's just cool that people, just, you know, he still matters to, <laughs> to all these people. I dig it.
0: Yeah. He was another polarizing figure. I, every time I think of Bradshaw, I think of this, there was a, a supercross in Charlotte years ago and the track was, I think it was kind of all sand, and Bradshaw used to just rail there. Yep. You you brought up Fox. Now I know. I think you started working there in in two thousand. But uh, you know, how how did you get into the industry, and, and what else have you done since you entered that space? All right, I'll make it as quick as I can, brother.
1: So, <laughs> um, Indiana went to Purdue University for for a year, and I was yeah I. Thought that I would be an engineer, but then I realized I'm not very smart and not like you. And I, there was a shop. There's this really, really bitching shop that I grew up going to as a little guy. And my mom would take me up there. And it was called Stoughton Cycle. So Stoughton was just a parts and accessory store. Wilma and her husband ran it. And I used to get to go in there and my mom would give me 15 minutes to look at everything. And it was, you know, back pre-internet days, they had everything that was bitching was there. And that was what made it so cool. So after my illustrious one year college career came to a crashing halt, Wilma hired me to just be a, you know, one of the little workers. But we took it so very seriously, even back then, like we were like a little destination store. So I I have to credit an absolute ton to her, how she taught us, you know, how we took things seriously from merchandising and and just wanted our store to look cool and all that stuff. So then the indie trade show started happening. You know, I started there just as the last Cincinnati show happened. Once it switched to the indie show, now I had all these industry people who would come to Indiana for like, you know, that one weekend for the indie trade show. And I was lucky enough that I kind of connected with a lot of those people. And Wilma you used to like let me call. Shoot, I, I used to talk to Ron Henson of Henson Clutch Baskets. Uh-huh. He used to be my Friday phone call when he worked at Pro Circuit because they had free freight Friday. And so I would call Ron to place my pro circuit order. And we would just sit there and just sort of BS. And then he told me that he was leaving pro circuit because his dad was starting a clutch company. And I remember thinking like, Oh, that should be pretty successful. You know, rolled my eyes <laughs> 20, <laughs> Yeah, look at tw- it now. <laughs> 20 plus years later. It shows what I know. And, and we still laugh because he remembered, we were just talking the other day about free freight Friday. And that's kind of how my connection started with with meeting people on the other side and because i grew up out there in the midwest i lived in my magazines and back then the magazines used to do a really cool job of like showing like industry people so i knew a lot of the people behind the scenes like the greg and pete foxes and and the jim hale from axo these names always resonated with me because i was never going to be fast enough to be the dogger or or rj but I might be able to be like one of those industry people, but I never thought that it would actually truly happen. You grew up in Indiana. Most of the time you've never ventured west of the Mississippi river. And so the idea of like moving to California and working for like your dream job was, was never, was never really in the cards for me or so I
0: thought. Okay. So I wanted to ask you about that. What, in my opinion, that's, and I, I think most people's opinion SoCal is the industry hotbed. And I've seen you, you've gone out on track days at Glen Helen races here and there promoting your product. What's it like living down there, you know, in an area where you have so much access to the industry and tracks like that?
1: You mean like living in a place like where when you and I get done with this, I might go mountain biking and there would be a chance that I could run into either Simon Cubby or Johnny O'Mara, like on my local trails. That's that's still weird to me. You know, it's like I, I, I'm still forever, 20 years that I've lived in California, there will forever be this kid that grew up like in the magazine, you know, living in motocross action and dirt rider and all those magazines, idolizing these guys. And now, like you said, like you live down here, it's not the hotbed that maybe it once was like in, you know, the 90s and 2000s. Now that so much more of our industry is starting to move out of here, but it's still pretty wild for me to just, you know, think like Roger DeCoster lives three miles down the road and I might run in the, the man, like at the grocery store, at the grocery store here, like later today, it's like, that's still an odd thing to like think that would happen, but it could, you know, it's like, um, yeah, when I go to like ride at a place like Glen Helen and, and it's one of those places where it's iconic and I'm like, yeah, you have to come ride Glen Helen. I don't want to ride with you because I don't really particularly care for the track, but you <laughs> kind of need to say that you have to have ridden up those hills and down Mount St. Helens at some point you have to, it's just too bitching. So
0: right on for a long time. That was kind of my dream. I was in pre-pharmacy with, uh, over in the Valley here. And I was like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to become a pharmacist. I'm going to move to SoCal and I'm going to ride motocross tracks every day. And then I went to, uh, race tech in Corona for about a week and, and things changed a little bit, a little bit busier, a little, a little bit faster pace than I think uh, <laughs> I want to deal with.
1: It's, it's, it's
0: different. I think I've,
1: I'm a West coast guy these days. I, I can live this, I can live that simple life. No, No ifs, ands or buts. And I always tell my wife when I do, we will have acreage and there will be a motocross track on the front and back side of our house. So she's agreed <laughs> to that. It's, I'm going to, we're going to have like the, uh, what's the Disney movie motocross. I want that track. It wraps around. And and then, some, and then some single track, like I said, maybe we move back to Montana and get like a thousand acres, a thousand acres of single track.
0: i tell you, the taste I got in Montana last summer was great. That's definitely uh, uh, a place that uh, I, I got to at least go back and visit. Maybe we'll relocate.
1: If I like could tie in my Montana thing, so that was what, unless like you already had that like queued up, that was how I kind of left Indiana finally was... I'm working at a shop in Indiana. I went on a trip to Montana and I fell in love with the mountains. Like I said, a lot of people back in the Midwest just never leave west of the Mississippi. We just don't venture that way very often for whatever reason. And uh, so I ended up moving to Montana on a whim, like in my early 20s. And I was like, dude, screw it. I'm going to figure it out. And I did. And I ran a shop called Team Bozeman up there in Bozeman Montana fell in love with the state and will always have a a soft spot in my heart on a handful for a handful of reasons but the other one was that's where I was when the phone call I got a phone call about being able to go work for Fox Racing and I think had I never had I never moved from Indiana to Montana I don't think I would have ever made the move from Indiana to California so Montana was not an really awesome place to live, but it also was kind of that catalyst that made me go, oh, shoot, you you can make it. You'll land on your feet. You'll figure it out.
0: Who knew so. Montana would be a launch pad for you <laughs> in the industry <laughs> of all places? Yep. I know. Um,
1: as I say, I will always have a soft spot in my heart for that place like right there. So.
0: Right on. Okay, I want to talk about – it's time to talk about Phoenix Hanna Bars. This is your business, and and first things first – where did the idea come from? You're gonna manufacture handlebars and sell handlebars. How does that idea come about?
1: I was working. I gotta go back, like, on to – after Fox. I went to a place called Hammerhead Designs. Yep. Hammerhead makes the shift levers, brake pedals, all that stuff. That was a that was a spot that like let me kind of like go from being a more of a cog in the machine, like at Fox, where now all of a sudden I'm part of a smaller team where I got to be a lot more, you know. Uh, and a girl like into like the everyday business like doing just just all the pieces and parts. Fast forward, I end up like leaving there to go work for MSR Malcolm Smith Racing as the brand manager, but for their hard parts division, which kind of nicely tied in with what I was doing at at Hammerhead. So now I've got this working more for an apparel company with for Fox, and then the last like put two places I was doing doing hard parts stuff and. We, we had taken the marketing direction with MSR rather than as you, as a moto guy, you'll know, like there were all those years they spent sponsoring the guy Coopers and Michael Rocco's and Kevin Wyndham's. And while being an okay apparel company, we're really never topped tier. You're never going to be like the Foxes, the Thor's, Troy designs. It, it just wasn't seen that way. Well, Credit to Phil Davy, He said, we have an answer. We have MSR under the same roof. We made Answer become the more motocross, supercross, marketing-focused brand, and we took MSR and we turned it back into what its roots were. Malcolm Smith was an off-road guy. I mean, he loved the motorcycling through and through. It didn't matter what genre. So, so that's kind of like what we started doing with the with the brand as a whole. On the hard parts, I started like really loving this idea of like of making the marketing be towards the everyday rider we're not all racers and there's nothing wrong with racing i mean we've talked a lot about it in the first part of the podcast but i think it's really bitching like to like kind of like make heroes out of out of the people who just ride because they love riding and so we were taking the marketing direction that that way and unfortunately that was like when the the higher-ups at mag decided to sell off the brand and 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 malcolm smith racing went away and that always bumped me out so i you know with the other handlebar and grip companies out there i kind of felt like that's what they were doing they're like aiming their marketing at that supercross racer that um Eli tomac Ryan Dungey, and why there's nothing wrong with that it's like I wanted to kind of continue what I thought we were building over at MSR and that's to like tell the story of of the people who just love the ride for the sake of riding who aren't collecting like paychecks and maybe not even getting a trophy because they don't do anything more than just weekend warrior with their buddy and so that was why why handlebars I I mean it's it I love the handlebar and the grip thing. I always have since the rent all days. Um, but and while the product is important, I feel like the story is even more important.
0: Okay. Something I noticed on your website, handlebars simplified. What does that mean? Um, if you spend any time like looking down through like
1: all the bins, I think it becomes pretty overwhelming between everything with the different widths, the different heights, the different sweeps. And then there's like normally like three other measurements that get shown that well are important to somebody who's like maybe building like a, you know, a cool custom bike. For the most part, people don't need like all these, all these darn options that try to sift through. So I wanted to simplify it down to like basically just four height options and everything else from there is going to like, you're going to, Whether you're a weekend warrior or whether you're a racer, they're fine. You're going to be good. Like they're all 800 millimeter width with a 57 millimeter sweep. That's pretty standard. If you look at everybody else's, there's going to be give or take. There's definitely different, you know, different options, but it becomes really overwhelming for somebody like new, like seasoned veterans have a hard time. And I know because so many people hit me up and go, I don't know what bars to like get and if like a seasoned veteran is struggling to figure out what to put on their bike, <laughs> what is a newbie like going through? It's it's really overwhelming. So I wanted to bring the, bring the sort of an in and out burger type of of thought to to shopping for handlebars. I mean, we're not all we're not all the same and there's definitely if for some reason whatever Phoenix handlebars offers isn't isn't where you need to be, well no problem. Like Renthal, Pro Taper, they crush it. There's a ton of good options in there. You know, not by all means enjoy it. They make good product. But for the people who are like like not really wanting to like go through all that, I want to simplify it down and make the process the purchasing process be just a lot easier. And I promise you it's like say whatever I give you it's still gonna it's not gonna magically shave like ten seconds off your lap time.
0: Oh or, man. Well I'm out. I don't <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I've I've got a set of bars on the 450. I really like them. I like the fact that you you've laser etched, uh, you know, some of the millimeter marks. If you want to cut them down or whatever, that's pretty straightforward. Um, like you said, there's just uh, it, it's it's a fairly simple process. You don't have to read through a bunch of charts and graphs to figure out what the what the rise or the sweep or anything like that should be. So I really appreciate that. No crossbar. And then you're offering both seven eighths and one and one eighth bars, correct? Correct. And then what else? You guys got grips, you got some swag. What else you got in there? Kind
1: of along the same lines as far as trying to keep it really simple. There's, there isn't a lot more like right now. I, I kind of felt like if you're going to be – if you want to like be in that market, I don't want to confuse people by like offering a ton of different things. Now, when I close my eyes and picture the brand down the road – I've got a lot of ideas, but they all still stay in that control group, you know, like still expanding upon stuff with like, you know, different grips, different bar offerings that at some point, um, you know, levers, hand guards, that kind of stuff all seems very fun. But I don't think like you want to like try to confuse your customer by like going, hey, we do handlebars, but we also do, you know, foot pegs and front fenders like (laughs) (laughs)
0: like so. Yeah, I, I like starting like, to cover the front end of the bike now.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to yeah. like say I gonna keep it simple, man.
0: All right. Yeah, I was going to ask throttle tubes, you know, perches, something like that. If, if that's coming down the pipe, or if you're just going to stay in this lane.
1: No, I th- I'd see. I see myself. I close my eyes, like say, and I see all that stuff, like coming, you know, at at some point. Like say, I want to do it when we can do it and do it right. Like say, I'm not about while. Well, I always tell people we didn't reinvent handlebars. Mother nature basically has you kind of set up with like your, your arms are already this wide and I, I'm not magically inventing like some new material that bars haven't been made out of, you know? So I'm not the engineer that the guys over at that fast company are, you know, that's, that's rad. I don't have any desire to like, like, like go down that path. Like, say I just want to make sure that I say, right. That's an elaborate bar. They're doing good. I'm just going to like continue to like, you know, make, we want to make great product, keep it clean, tell a good story, make it to be a brand that that resonates with people. And, and know that like, say like when they get it, they don't have to sit there and like, go, was this thing made out of 10 can aluminum? And like the first jump I hit, they're going to wrap around my radiator. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. As you saw, it's like, we I was talking to a friend earlier today, and I was like, you know, there's when you're a new company like us, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of uncertainties of people like wondering, well, is it actually a good product? You know, it's like I feel like, you know, we put up good photos that make it look cool and sexy and 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 stuff like that. But that doesn't tell you how it works. So in that case, you know, that's where third party endorsements and guys like yourself out there running it and going, hey, I'm stoked. I'm happy. Thanks, Jay. Um, that's what makes me happy.
0: Yeah, it's gotta be tough to compete against and, and and you probably don't consider yourself competing against rentals and and pro tapers, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, they've been around a long time. People trust that brand, so it's gonna take you a while to build that kind of trust. But I like what you what you do. Every photo, every webpage, you're telling a story, really nice copywriting and yeah, I really I really appreciate that from a marketing perspective. I'll take
1: so I'll go back like the little takeaways that you get through life. Wilma, when we used to work at Stoughton's used to say, we weren't competing with the store down the road. We were competing with other forms of expendable income. You know, for us, there was a place called galleons. I think it later turned into like Dick's sporting goods. I always still say we're competing with, with losing our riders to like golf or bass fishing or something like that, because if if we lose like like one guy has a bad experience at a local shop or just finds that like working on his motorcycle is just too much of a pain in the ass and all of a sudden he's like you know I was going to go riding this weekend but I don't have time I'm just going to go like go hit you know golf balls and all of a sudden now his buddy is like oh, I was going to go golfing but I mean I was going to go moto but John's going to go hit golf balls I'll go with him instead now all of a sudden we didn't lose one guy we lost him and his like three buddies you know, to another sport. And so my whole thing is like dude, whatever we could do to like make sure we keep like dudes riding, if Renthal and Pro Taper like sell a, a ton of bars, well good for them. That I means like there will be plenty of extra people that'll be out there like shopping Phoenix handlebars too. But if if all those guys decide to go golfing instead, well either Renthal, Pro taper or Phoenix Handlebars will be selling many bars, right?
0: Sure, I think if if the if the market's strong, if the industry industry is strong, Phoenix Handlebars is strong. Ben Motorcycle Adventures is strong. If those things are on a decline, and we see a recession like we did in oh eight oh nine, that's gonna that's gonna impact business.
1: Yeah, yeah. So my my whole thing is like when I put together the social media, the marketing, it's like I always tell people, it's like I'm just a handlebar company. I'm not the hero. The hero is 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 our riders. That's the hero of of this story because they're the ones who, on Wednesday night after dinner, like they just did like little you know homework with like little Susie or a little Billy. they've like did dinner, they need to go to bed, worked a forty hour fifty hour work week. and somewhere after all that they decide to go out to the garage to do an air filter, which nobody enjoys doing air filters but but they do it. Because they want a moto on Saturday, want to be prepared when they want to go out and go hit the trails on Saturday morning. And damn it, that's the hero. <laughs> that's the hero to the story because that person loves motos so much that it doesn't they're willing to go out there and get their hands all greasy and dirty. You know, before bed. And that's awesome.
0: That's half the battle. I think we're heroes because we're running around on ten thousand dollar bikes with, you know, fifteen hundred dollars suspension setup, three hundred dollars worth of tires, you know what I mean? When you roll one of these things together, you've got a $15,000, you know, moving chassis. I think we're the heroes, not the guys out there riding for free.
1: Totally, man. Like say, and the thing is, is I feel like there's been some groups out there, like social media has kind of made it sort of hip and cool to like, like even have like an old 85 XR 350. Like, I mean, we used to like laugh at some guy with a jalopy of a motorcycle and now I don't give a shit. It's like, dude, I'm just pumped that that guy is out motoing and he's having as much fun as anybody on that $15,000 bike, you know, it's like, he's still pumped. And I'm like, Pfft, I'm pumped for him. Thanks for going to MET riding. And that's <laughs> yeah. like, cause that guy still has to have tires and he still needs a spark plug and he still needs oil. And hopefully he's hitting his local
0: dealership up
1: for that stuff.
0: Vintage is in. I got to get me a, I want to get me a KX 500. I rode, my dad used to ride KX 500s all the time. And, uh, I, I got to ride one when I was like 12 or 13, one of his, and, uh, I want to restore one and take it out here in the desert and, you know, do 120 miles an hour on it see what she's got compared to these modern bikes. I got to get one someday. Yeah. I'd say like suck it up before they all,
1: you know, get sucked up
0: elsewhere. Yeah. I almost bought one. I almost bought one last year. I just thought it was a little bit too steep for what it is, but I'll, I'll find one. I'll find a treasure here somewhere. Yeah. Hey, dig it. I wanted to ask, uh, I've been kind of dying to get somebody on here that's, that's you know, thinking about things from a marketing perspective, but social media, you think it's good or you think it's bad?
1: Um, I think it's ultimately, I think it's, I think it's, are you talking from like a business standpoint, personal standpoint, or like all inclusive? All inclusive.
0: Hmm. I mean, unless you, you know, you've got to take either way.
1: No, I mean, I,
0: I like it for on a personal side. I mean, I like
1: I like doing photography and I feel like I kind of pride myself in putting like good photos out whether it's, you know, of my dogs or my kids and you know, family related stuff. I enjoy it. I think it's hard to put it out and not like look like you're trying to like be a narcissistic like, "Hey, look at me." But <laughs> You know, and and that's the part that sucks because I mean, I think inevitably that's that's kind of what you're saying. But at the same time, I enjoy putting up the photos of my my family and my wife and I like lay in bed at night and we'll flip through like Instagram and it's almost like a walk down memory lane. So that part, I think, is really, really cool. Um, I'm old, man. I'm 40 some years old, so I can't speak like what it's like to be one of our kids like like right now and what they must go through like in in terms of social media and and what becomes influ- influential to them um i i have no idea it's like things have changed so much and from a business standpoint you know i worked at bonnier which was uh the magazine um publishing company which has like motorcyclist and cycle world dirt rider and that was tough because it's like you're sitting there trying to sell like print ads and they're all telling you it's like hey print's dead we don't need you we'll just push out our own social media and to a certain degree you're like yeah I guess I get it you're right so you know here I am as a startup company and I mean you see what I I put up and coming up with the content every day becomes really (laughs) really challenging um, to always have something that's cool and compelling and one of the things that I guess I look at it, it's like, that's you telling everybody like how great you are. I think it's still important to have the magazines. And I know print has definitely fallen off the wayside, but it's real important to me to like have a relationship with those, with those companies that, that were out there trying to do good work. I mean, we just lost trans world, which blows me away. They were crushing it and they're gone. Poof whole one whole magazine website moto series gone and granted Don Maeda is trying to you know he's trying to like resurrect it all like as best he can like under his own name but but the brand equity that was within trans world is gone and you know and it's like so I know you asked only (laughs) us might might be about social media and I kind of went off the reservation there but to me it's I think it's all, it's all related. I I, I, yeah, I mean, ultimately I think social media is rad. It had it not been for social media. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be maybe your friend, like, like we are today. So I I have to say that in that case, it's like, yeah, it's absolutely awesome. I've met some really, really cool cats, you know, like um, Rick Estrada from, you know, and I mean, I count there's countless other ones that I've got that are, based like on people I've never met face-to-face, but we have a good relationship thanks to social media.
0: Yeah, I, I hear a lot of people weigh in and say, you know, it, it's, it's not good. We're spending too much time on our phones, so on and so forth. But we've just we've just shifted that direction. And, and I love social media. And I guess what people don't know about me is I just like to take photos. It doesn't really have anything to do with anything else. I enjoy going out and, and taking pictures of landscapes and, and sharing them with people that, you know, in different parts of the world, I love to see what somebody's doing in Utah today or I don't know, Nicaragua, for instance. I mean, it's just cool to kind of take a glimpse into to someone else's life. But, uh,
1: well, I think when you think about adventure biking, you know, in dual sport, which I know is a huge, huge part of your listener base. I mean, it's, it's everything. Had it not been for maybe social media, what would have been the forum for people to live, say in, you know, Kentucky, to ever get jazzed out about like seeing photos about like riding like, you know, up in Bend, Oregon and like going, dude, I got to get over there. That looks like a damn good time. You know, it's like, would they have seen it in a magazine? No, because there were no magazines that were ever covering, you know, like adventure biking and stuff like that. I mean, and, and not to the degree that we have today. So I feel like some of those amazing photos that we see both on your friends and my friends almost drive people to probably say, Holy shit. I want to go there and ride. You know, it becomes more of a destination again. I think social media would be probably the catalyst that's made stuff like that happen. I mean, sure, look at yeah. like some, you know, you know, look at like the pictures like a Jocelyn puts up. It's like, man, I wish I could go there.
0: Yeah, that you know, happens like, to me every day. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: every so. single day. Costa Rica, Iceland, Alaska. I want to go to all these places.
1: Now, all that being said, I do want to figure out how do we get our kids we're never gonna we the world's changed so forget that where everybody's gonna put their iphones down for forever but is there a way that like we can still get that excitement back to kids that like say like that they want to go moto you know that they want to go like ride their motorcycle like say they're it's fine like say go ride your motorcycle and sit there like on your iphone or, Instagram out some photos. No problem. But at least you went and motored.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I wonder if, if we're on this pendulum and, and at some point social media shifts people back to getting outside and doing activities more so than than we are now. I sure hope, man. But it's a, uh, I think as a,
1: I mean, I'm a, as a parent, I've got a 17 year old boy, 15 year old girl, and a soon to be nine year old boy. And, you know, it's like, and I. Dude, I try all the time to like my weekends are always spent figuring out what can I do to like help get them out because it get left to their own devices like figuratively and literally they're not going to want to do any of those things you know part of it's part of it's me being merely a teenager so I get that but given the thought of like going I'm gonna like play on my Xbox or I'm gonna go ride my mountain bike and up and down hills and get sweaty and tired. It's like no, they're going to choose Xbox. But if I can be the guy who gets them out of the house, and I think that's you know responsibility of a parent sometimes these days more than it used to be because if there's too many other distractions, it's be like, hey, I, I've got to be the one to 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 get them to go play.
0: Right on. Hey, another social media question for you. This one kind of off the cuff. What does the word influencer mean to you? <laughs> Oh,
1: yeah. Uh, let me think. Let me think Like how many times everybody that I've heard, both from Hammerhead, MSR, and now Phoenix, like, oh, if you like, send me some stuff, I'll post something up, and we'll get X amount of like likes. It's like, it doesn't work that way, man. It just hasn't. I've, I've given away so much stuff through all those companies, through these three brands, that I, I haven't seen anything that turns on the water faucet now. To say that it's not getting eyes on product, no, that would be naive. It, it, it certainly is. But I don't like the fact that the people with all the followers think that they're sitting like on this golden egg that they can just ask for stuff for free and that they're doing you a, a huge service. It's like, no, nah, I call bullshit on that. I don't see it. So um, it's... Uh, and I've been when i was at bonnier there were there were some people there that spoke a, a marketing jargon that i don't speak <laughs> i couldn't follow it and i used to always be like hey man we're just selling to motorcycle people here it's like we don't need to try to make it you know sound like we're launching the space shuttle and using all that fancy marketing stuff it's it, to me it's it feels like double double talk and i i just don't i don't yeah. dig it so I guess like when I think about influencers, I know that they're important. I, I know that there's a level of it important, but I also feel like it's again, it's just not like giving them stuff, and they feel like that they're they're the controlling parts of a, of a brand. It always kind of bums me out. I don't know if I kind of worded that right.
0: So, in your opinion, I mean, if you were an inspiring quote unquote influencer, how you know, how would, uh, you know, how could you get an ROI out of something like that?
1: I think I would get like, I mean, I think it depends on, on the person, you know, it's like, I mean, some people like want to put post up pictures of them, like just merely writing. I, I mean, I think you've seen from my social media and my personality, it's like, I like the lifestyle of, of things. I really like things that I want to see people's smiles with their helmets off and, um i had a i had a um friend that sarah roth that i had met i've actually never even met her face to face another one of those social media people but she posted up like really really excellent photos she lived out in utah at the time and i would send her like products from msr and i'm like i don't want you like like saying anything in your post about that you got this for free you know it's like to me that feels so disingenuous. It's like, yeah, I got free stuff. You should buy it. <laughs> it's like, mm, I'm like, if you can just get me like rad photos, you being out there and having like all these thousands of followers, like on Instagram, it's like, it just helps bring a visibility. And to me, that was, I, I just kind of like washed my hands of like, like any huge ROI on it and just thought, man, if she's bringing visibility to the product and she makes it look cool and I get bitching photos out of it, it was a win for me.
0: Hey, Jason, I'm going to wrap it up with you. So if you don't mind, would you let our listeners know how they can find you on the web and social media?
1: Sure. Yeah, um, I tried to keep everything pretty straightforward. We're called Phoenix Handlebars is the name of the brand. So the website is phoenixhandlebars.com and the social media, whether it's Facebook or Instagram, is at phoenixhandlebars. I appreciate you like let me... Uh, let me ramble on so much. Hopefully uh, we don't like your uh, podcast doesn't take a, a considerable blow after after all of
0: this. Listeners, make sure you visit Jason's social media profiles at Phoenix Handlebars on both Facebook and Instagram. And if you're in the market for some new handlebars, phoenixhandlebars.com. Jason, don't worry about the health of this podcast. Trend is to the up and to the right. And credit to great guests like yourself and our amazing listeners for that. And also, Jason, thank you for the generosity. Listeners, check this out. Visit PhoenixHandlebars.com, enter the code BEND20, that is B E N D 20, all caps, and save 20% on any handlebars, crossbar pads, grips, whatever the case may be. Jason will hook you up. You get a great set of bars, you get some great equipment, and save 20%. Again, the promo code, courtesy of Phoenix Handlebars, is BEND20. Make sure you use capitals on that bend part. BenMotorcycleAdventures.com cannot run away without dropping a plug for our website, Off Road Dual Sport Adventure Motorcycle Tours here in the Great Pacific Northwest. And we're booked out in April. I've got just a few dates left in May and June. So if you want to get out to the Great Pacific Northwest, do some riding with Ben Motorcycle Adventures, do some training, BenMotorcycleAdventures.com or BenMotorcycleAdventures@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Shoot me an email and we'll work something out. We'll work around your schedule. And we will make it happen one more time. BendMotorcycleAdventures.com Just a couple more things here before we go. Don't forget about our social media channels at BendMotorcycleAdventures on both Facebook and Instagram. Pretty active on both of those platforms. So if that is your preferred method of contact or how you'd like to communicate with me, again, at BendMotorcycleAdventures on both Facebook and Instagram. Last thing, Party Shot. We've got another podcast coming at you seven days from now. Martin and Verena world spins as fast as we ride. There are two Austrian teachers who in their spare time, in their time off, they're riding their BMWs around the world. So you do not want to miss that episode of the podcast. We'll see you a week from today. Thank you.